you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. This show exists to help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it, got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, antijpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. announcements real quick announcements here's the thing I had a little handbook called the creative career path it's a little book to help you find your creative career sweet spot between art and business so you can have a thriving creative career it's my process for doing that and uh, it sold out I had a handbook sold out super fast Uh, And so I have a new plan. It's a secret plan that I will tell you about real soon. So stay tuned for that. But I just wanted to tell you that it was a sponsored product and it was sponsored by Scout Books. They help you make pocket notebooks, little notebooks, and they do an excellent job. And uh, and they helped me make that. And so I just want to give them a shout out here and tell you about these people. Um, If you want to make your own custom Scout Books, You know, they're little, they've got like a nice card finish, uh, a a nice card, not finish, but cover, and they screen print it real nice. And you can also print black uh, ink on the interior pages, um, or you can leave it blank if you want to make sketchbooks for people to sell or whatever. Go check them out at scoutbooks.com slash creative pep talk. You'll get 15% off your order. Go check that out and stay tuned for what we're going to do with the Creative Career Path Handbook. There's some plans in the works to get to all those people that didn't get a chance to get their hands on them. 
One other thing, uh, you know, something I think about a lot is that um, this podcast grows a lot and I, um, and a lot of people start listening that aren't even, you know, it started as kind of an illustration podcast and it was an illustration and design podcast. And then it was kind of illustration, design, craft, Etsy, maker podcast. And it's slowly kind of, I've realized I get a lot of feedback from people that are like, you know, I don't even think I'm in a creative profession per se. But I like, um, so it's less about a creative career and it's more about approaching career in a creative way, which is at the heart of the podcast in a way, is that I didn't fit into any regular career path and I had to approach it in a creative way to to thrive. And so, uh, you know, I just want you to know that that's kind of in the back of my mind, kind of an interesting thing about this podcast. And if you're thinking about passing it on to friends that maybe aren't in creative careers per se, but need help approaching their career in a creative way. Um, you can, I'm giving you permission to share it with those people. Uh, because yeah, I think that that's a big part of this whole thing. Anyway, I should warn you, I'm about to record this episode and I am jazzed out of my mind on creative pep and creative career stuff and jazzed out of my mind with potent coffee. So you're about to get ADHD Andy to the max. Let's buckle up and and get into it. So this episode is about why I think even if in just a small way, all creative people should attempt to be entrepreneurs. And, uh, And I really mean that and I really believe that. And this episode is me convincing you to do that, telling you how to do that, telling you why I think you should take this seriously. Uh, And it's this idea that this is real fancy business lingo. I'm sure most of you learned this when you were like five and I just think I'm special with my marketing lingo. But if you don't know, (laughs) there's this language that's B2B or B2C. And it describes the type of company that you're in. A B2B is a business that serves other businesses, their products or services. And a B2C is a business to customer. Uh, A B2B is, you know, an illustrator is often B2B because you're getting hired as a, uh, it's the difference between whether you work with clients or you work with customers, okay? So clients, um, B2B, where you're working with clients, you might be an illustrator working with a magazine or working with an ad agency or working with a brand, but you're working with another business, okay? A lot of creative professional work is in this sphere. I would say um, the majority of the paid work, uh, career-wise, probably falls in that category, and uh, the others fall into the B2C category, business to customer. And this episode is about encouraging you, no matter where you fall on this spectrum, whether you're B2B or whether you're B2C, to really think about going into the business to customer world. Even if you don't end up turning a profit, I think it's incredibly uh, empowering and uh, and essential that you get on the front lines with real people, face-to-face customer interactions. Um, And if you are already B2C, I encourage you to stick around for this episode because I'm going to talk about 
what I think the essence of that is, and hopefully you can glean something that in, uh, invigorates your B2C operations, if you will. Um, will you? Will you stay uh, for that? Um, I, okay, here's what I, here's why I think that, okay? Think of business to business and business to customer as old medieval battlefronts, okay? And if you're a B2B, if, you're, if your creativity was battling, <laughs> was war of some kind, and uh, if you're doing B2B where you're trying to work with uh, kingdoms, you're like the, the battle consultant. They bring you in for you to tell them the best strategies on how to, uh, how to fight, right? And then if you're B2C, you're actually on the front lines fighting the battles. And here's my big thing, is that when it comes to the B2B interactions, who are you going to hire? Are you going to hire the person that is marketing to you saying, I know everything there is about battles, or are you going to hire the person that has been in the battle and has proved that their theories work and has learned their lessons on the front lines? Easy, right? You're going to pick the person that has proved their methods, proved their theories uh, by battles won, by, by wars won, and you're going to trust that they know what they're talking about because they've actually worked these theories out in real time. And I think creativity is just like that. And the idea is that if you will get on the front lines, get face-to-face -face with people, you will be battle-tested as a creative. And I'm going to explain how this kind of changed my whole perspective, even after I was a full-time illustrator in the B2B world. I was uh, already a pro illustrator, already a full-time illustrator when I started this podcast. And I, uh, I, I created all of the brand the illustrative brand, the artwork for the episodes and the artwork for the podcast myself with my own illustration. And it was me using my B2B service, the stuff that I've done for other businesses for myself, for front facing customers, right? Um, the podcast was going, was a B2C thing and I branded it and I made the podcast art. And what ended up happening was Apple, uh, the computer company, uh, saw all my artwork on iTunes and because of the illustration, they got me to sign a piece of paper, uh, that said that they could use this to feature my artwork and my podcast on their promotion. So they, they used it for instance, um, when they were promoting a new feature where, uh, your iPhone will pause while you're. Google Maps or whatever is giving you directions so that you don't miss stuff on your podcast. And they used my podcast art uh, in that promotion. And they also chose to feature it on the front page of like what's new or what's hot. I used to be hot on the podcast page. And, uh, and they did so purely on the basis of the strength of my illustration. And I'll tell you what that did for me personally. For me personally, it said that I'm not charging enough for my illustration 
because I'll tell you what, one of the core values, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, this idea of like, you know, what's the value of your work? Something we talk about a lot, but I think is a, is a hard concept to tackle. So we're going to revisit it, uh, ad nauseum basically. Um, but basically one of the values of my artwork, because I work with a lot of brands and a lot of advertising, a lot of campaigns, one of the core things that they need for my illustration is to get people's attention. And if you hadn't noticed, the internet is an extremely noisy place. It's very difficult to get any attention online. And so this podcast artwork was able to cut through the noise, so to speak, on iTunes, because it, it does look really different than other podcast covers, and it got attention. And what it told me was, it gave me a newfound confidence in my work that says, if somebody uh, wants me to do their podcast artwork or do their uh, podcast episode images or the or you know one degree away do editorial illustrations for their their uh, their company's blog or whatever whatever however they want to hire me doing my illustrations to get attention I need to make sure that I price that accordingly because I know that it's really valuable and so that battle tested front lines trying to deal with customers taught me a new level of confidence in my work that helped me charge more money and then beyond that. Here's the other thing that it did. When other people see that my illustration helps me market my podcast or helps me sell products and they see the numbers behind the listenership and they see, um, or even, even the same goes for my, my talks because they know that people listen to the podcast and I do these talks and all that and they see the metrics and the numbers and they see that people are listening. That's the reason they want me as a B2B relationship to come to their conference. And so the power is in the battle-tested work. And, uh, and I want to encourage you real quick because there's something that ends up happening to these B2B people. You know, these, these uh, battle consultants, the people that are, uh, you know, Jafars to the king, if you, if you will, to the sultan. Uh, one of the things that ends up happening if, you're, if you, it's been too long since your battle time, you're going to lose that confidence and you're going to, that imposter syndrome is going to grow. And I want to encourage you, let me tell you this, when you get on the battlefront, I can, that there's a, there's a voice in your head that says, it's going to be brutal. And guess what? It is, it is brutal. And at first, some of your theories are going to die under the flame of the battle. And some of your, uh, confidence is going to get is going to maybe take a hit when you go develop a product and it doesn't do as well as you think it should. Or, you know, the theories you've been, uh, the theories and the work and the creativity that you've been selling yourself to other companies um, doesn't work as well as you thought it could. And that is scary and I get it, but I want to encourage you to be brave and go into the battle because it's the only way that you're really going to know uh, how good you are. But then ultimately, it's going to be the thing that teaches you to be good. And uh, we were talking, I go to this Rise and Design uh, monthly meeting when I can in Columbus, Ohio. And, and a lot of these ideas are things that I got inspired um, from this discussion that we had this morning. And one of the things we talked about was teaching. And we were talking about how I said that I feel like I didn't really get good 
at design and illustration until I started teaching it. And it's because you never understand something better than when you're forced to explain it to somebody else. And so, yeah, uh, it is scary to get there and test your theories on the battlefront and see if you actually do add value to businesses through your design, illustration, writing, music, if it does actually uh, translate to dollars, does it translate to customers? Does it actually affect the bottom line? Because if it doesn't, you're not really uh, on a steady foundation as a business. Does your composition, does your music elevate a podcast? Does it elevate a commercial? Does it really affect the value? Um, and when you get out there on the front lines, maybe you decide, maybe it doesn't, maybe it didn't. But ultimately... The best news isn't just that um, when it does work that it'll increase your confidence, but it will be the thing that teaches you how to affect the bottom line, how to deliver real value, how to get good in the same way that when you have to teach something, you have to understand it better yourself. B to B uh, or B to C work will actually be the thing that crystallizes your worth and actually teaches you in real time how to be fantastic at what you do. And I think it is a requirement for all creative people, if they really want to get good, to go get in front of audiences. I always, you know, I talk about stand-up comedy all the freaking time, but I think stand-up comedy is this beacon, this teacher on how to be masters of your craft. I can't imagine a type of creativity that is harder to master. And I think that the reason we have such uh, insane levels of craft in the world of stand-up comedy is because, um, because nothing is a crazier battlefront than going and standing up in front of people and trying to be funny. And then on top of that, if you're a priest, by the way, or you're a pastor... Uh, you can go stand up and be funny in front of people and it's still hard, but it's actually not that hard because they're not expecting you to be funny. That's why any joke that a pastor tells or a, a priest or a rabbi or whoever, uh, any joke that they tell is going to get laughs because people aren't expecting you to be funny and anything's kind of humorous when you're saying it in a sacred, what's supposed to be a sacred space. But nothing is freaking harder than saying, I'm going to get up and be funny uh, and I'm saying that I'm going to be funny and you're going to expect me to be funny and you're going to be judging me all the while. And the people that can go through that gauntlet test of front lines, those babies are freaking uh, creative geniuses. And one of the things that we learn is that if you want to be uh, a comedy writer, if you want to be a top dog in the comedy scene, one of the best ways to really get good and not just, um, you know, not just fly by the seat of your pants or, or just try to, you know, network your way into a decent writing job is to test your material online, get chewed up and spit out a few times, and actually the best jokes are written on stage, on the front lines. For me personally, my material, whether it's analogies or silly jokes or whatever I do in my talks, 90% of the best stuff was stuff that I had to come up with on the spot because people were staring at me. And it was that kind of 
uh, skin in the game that really brings out your best work. And so I'm going to challenge you on this episode to say what kind of entrepreneurial uh, endeavor can you go into that will help you get your skin in the game, get some of that battle tested, even if you're a B2B business, what can you do to get into that world and really level up? Because I think it's the only prayer you have of legitimately being undeniably fantastic at creativity. And if you're already in the B2C world, here's a little um, nugget for you. Have you thought about offering B2B services? Um, you know, even like, for instance, even a coffee shop that's B2C, they're serving coffee to customers, can also, you know, rent out part of their space to other businesses to hold meetings or workshops or what have you. So if you are a B2C already, maybe you're going to take this episode and do the flip side and say, I've proven myself. I have the, the sales and the figures or the, uh, the know-how from being on the front lines, and now I can start consulting with the Sultan. You can start being a Jafar. This is the weirdest. (laughs) I'm selling you on being Jafar. It's It's a strange analogy, Andy, but we're going with it. All right, we're going to get straight down to brass tacks, which I have no idea what that means. I don't know if it's Assuming it's brass tacks, like a metal tack, 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 not like brass T-A-X, like, the, I don't know. I think it means serious stuff. Let's get to it. I've got a list of a few things I think you should do to get into the B2C game or to get back into the B2C game or reinvigorate your B2C game. These are the things that I would do if I were you. And these are the things I've done for myself. The first thing you got to do is ask yourself, what kind of Chuck are you? Are you a Chuck Norris? Are you a Chuck Berry? What kind of Chuck? (laughs) That has nothing to do with what I'm saying. This is what I'm really saying. What kind of Chuck are you? Okay. And this is what I mean by that. Not like Chuck Norris or Walker, Texas Ranger. Not that would have been a great one. What kind of Chuck are you? Are you a Walker, Texas Ranger? Or are you the one where Chuck Norris is weirdly kind of the Mr. Miyagi character? which these days I think would get into the trouble of uh, cultural appropriation with, cause <laughs> anyway, uh, so it's not about Chuck Norris at all. Here's what I mean. Jerry Seinfeld said, uh, long ago, back in the day, um, Jerry Seinfeld said that he was like, um, uh, a woodchuck, like a woodchuck chucks wood. A comedian tells, j- makes jokes, creates jokes. And in that same way, He's just like an uh, an out an ever running fountain that never runs out of jokes. Like it's just the way his brain thinks, and and I think uh, you've got to ask yourself what kind of Chuck are you? Because if you can figure out like what's the stuff that pours out from you, whether anybody's going to pay for you or not, you're going to find a valuable resource. It's a um, a renewable resource. And the more unique that thing is, the more valuable it's going to be. So I am a podcast Chuck. I We talked about this today at the Horizon Design thing. And someone, uh, my friend Jeremy Slagle was like, hey, you would probably, you talked about how you did a new podcast every week for a year 
or for, for maybe almost two years before you ever earned a dime on it. And then if you never earned a dime on it, you might still be doing it, right? And I said, yeah, because I, I, and maybe that is true because I talk. I love to freaking talk. I talk, 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 talk. And I love helping people, especially creative people, figure out how to thrive. And I did that way before I had a podcast that was already emanating from me. I would go seek out people, have coffee dates, meet with them, help them strategize, help them figure out what are the things that are going to help you thrive as a creative person. And I'm sorry, by the way, that some of you find it weird that I get really passionate and excited and I start almost shouting at you. And uh, it's kind of weird and embarrassing, but that's the way this podcast is going to go. Stick around for a little while. It might grow on you if it hasn't already. (laughs) And even if you just have to cringe and bear through the weird, some of you guys love it. I know. And I'm that kind of person. I love passion. And by the way, I know we're on like eight tangents right now, but it's all gravy. Uh, my daughter, my littlest daughter has the passion. She's like, she's in like the seven percentile uh, for weight and height. Like she's really tiny. She's healthy, but she's really tiny for her age. Um, and I always say her passion and her spirit is bigger than her body because when she gets, if she's like pretending and she's getting really into it, she actually shakes with passion. She will say, she was reading me a book last night and she's like, which one do you want to pick? Do you like this one? And then she's actually like shaking with passion and that's me. And I know a lot of you guys are like that. You love the passion. But for the people that are like, Andy, settle down. It's scaring me. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. And I hope that you just get into it. Anyway, what were we talking about? We're talking about what kind of Chuck are you? Well, I'm passion Chuck. I'm chucking passion all day. I'm chucking jazz. I'm chucking encouragement. I'm chucking that stuff left and right, whether I'm doing a podcast or not. And I just had to figure out the container, the podcast, the medium. Well, it used to be articles, but I'm actually, I like talking more than I like writing. And I feel like I'm better at talking than writing. Um, and so you got to ask yourself, what kind of Chuck are you? Now, um, you're probably, the kind of Chuck you are is probably closely related to the type of creative work you want to do. You're an illustrator. I'm an illustrator Chuck. I'm a picture-making Chuck as well. Uh, And so you got to identify what that thing is. What is the thing that's just pouring out of you? You probably already know what it is. And then you go to step two and you say, well, what's the value of what I'm checking? And uh, (laughs) I love saying Chuck as a verb uh, for some reason. Um, But what's the value of the Chuck? that I'm chucking, uh, and, and I've talked about this on the podcast and I'm gonna continue to talk about it because I think it is a, it, it is a deal breaker when it comes to thriving as a creative person. You could be the exception to the rule that doesn't really deliver any value to, uh, to people and somehow make a business out of that or somehow become successful out of that. But I really, 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 really think that if you don't really have a clear value to the work you're making, for other people that um, even if you find some random way of being successful, I think it, it's very wishy-washy. I think sometimes the, the culture gets obsessed with an artist that maybe isn't really delivering any value but just happens to go viral or hit a cultural moment or whatever and then that thing passes and because that person doesn't know how to deliver a, a real type of value um, consistently that actually meets a need for people that um, that they get washed up. They become the one hit wonder, right? So if you want to be in it in the long haul, you've got to figure out what you chuck and then you've got to say, well, what is this thing that I'm chucking? How does that 
do anything for anybody else because um, no matter what you do, if people are buying, if you want to create a business, you have to be slinging something that does something for other people. And the more you understand why those people are buying, what they're getting from it, the more you can do it on command. And it doesn't matter. Uh, it might be something else esoteric. Like I think a lot of people that are dealing in um, the creative world and it's kind of dealing in the, uh, the art of fashion. Um, and you might feel like, oh, it's really esoteric. What are they getting from it? It's got, it, it could very well be their identity that following you on Instagram and having you part of their feed tells them something about who they are. And understanding what that means means that you can do that more on purpose. But it also might mean uh, that you're teaching them something. That's the value you're giving them. You're giving them, uh, it might be that you're making them feel something. I was just thinking about this idea that artists are like magicians. Some artists are like magicians, except for their, their rabbits are tears and their hats are your eyes. And it means that <laughs> it means that they can pull tears out of your eyes from nothing, something from nothing, just like a magic, just like a, just like a magic, just like magic. It, uh, it, you go into a movie to feel something. You watch a drama and you went in there feeling like everyday normal and you left maybe having a life experience, having sobbed your eyes out or laughed your face off or whatever it is. But if you, you're a comedian and you're, you're a joke-telling Chuck and you sling jokes, you got to know, what are people getting from it? Laughter. You're the magician that says where there was no laughter, I'm about to pull laughter out of this hat. And this is the, this is the beauty of getting on the front lines is saying, can I do that thing on command? Can I show up and make meaning where there was no meaning? Make someone learn something where there was no learning? How can I make them cry when there was no crying? How can I learn my craft in such a way that I can show up like a professional and win the battle nine times out of 10? That's what being a pro is all, of a, all about. And it's a, it is a battle. I'm not telling you something. I'm not giving you all the answers. I'm telling you the questions that you need to be asking yourself, but you still have to find the answer. Sometimes I tell people this stuff and they're like, okay, well, tell me what mine is. I'm like, I, you know, without really diving into that, I'm not going to be able to do that. I can't just do that like um, randomly just by, you know, a glance at what you're doing, right? Um, you know, I love to help people find what kind of chuck they are and figure out what the value is. But it's a journey and it's a battle and it's a tough one, but it's a battle that is worth fighting because it is a make or break on you thriving. Okay, figure out what kind of chuck you are. Number one, number two, figure out what the value of what you're chucking is. Three and four, we'll go fast on these. Three is test it. Don't just launch a, uh, a business tomorrow. It used to be uh, that you had to get a bank loan and, uh, and, and put in a down payment on a, a building on the high street, if you will, and, uh, and sink all of this money in this hypothesis on what you think you're chucking and what you think the value of it is and just make this ginormous bet and it's a pass or fail. It's like, yeah, you went the right way. You picked the right name. You picked the right, you figured, you identified what, the what you're really chucking. <laughs> and, uh, and then you either were right or wrong, but that's not the way it is anymore. And there was a talk, if anybody knows this, send it to me. 
there was a talk, I think it was on the do lectures. Um, I'll try to do research, but I couldn't, I've tried to find it a bunch of times. I can't find it, but it's just basically how um, the, the laws of pivoting with the internet, there's so much, uh, we're at in such an amazing time where you don't have to just go get a ginormous loan and bet it all on one hypothesis, but you can do little tiny bets, little tiny pivots. And that's what I would suggest doing. Come up with a hypothesis on what kind of woodchuck you are, come up with kind of, or what kind of, what the value of that is, and then just start slinging that stuff, chucking it out straight onto the internet on platforms like Instagram and, and podcasts and, and Facebook and all that stuff and start giving this stuff away and have a, have like five hypotheses and test them out and see which of them are battle tested ready. Which of those jokes, because this is the way a great comedy special starts, is they have, they write a bunch of ideas down, but they don't just say, all right, I'm ready to record the special. No, they show up at the clubs, they get in front of people and half the things they thought that they'd be chucking that would go down like a treat tanked and things they thought that were nothing or things that they thought that they things that they things that they thought that they thought that they think things that they um, things that uh, that end up being the best are the things they learn while out there testing the jokes they make up while in the battle and so next thing you got to do is say all right come up with three different projects or three different businesses or three different products and figure out how can i uh, test these ideas by putting them out there in small ways which is what the marketers call minimum viable product can you create many versions of your product small stakes small runs self-published little things and see how it goes over and then reevaluate and pivot and then then once you've done that step four is launch and I'm gonna encourage you real quick here if you're gonna launch a Kickstarter if you're gonna launch a book if you're gonna launch um, whatever understand that all of the time and energy that you've spent up to this point you should then double down and put into a strategic launch of what you're doing because people like to bet on things that are already winning and people don't like to go to restaurants where there's nobody in it and as soon as people start coming in more people start coming in because you don't want to be the weirdo going to the thing that nobody's doing and so I would encourage you once you've figured out what you chuck you figured out the value of it you've tested a bunch of a few of those hypotheses you're ready to stake a claim I would say for a season of time pour all of your eggs in that basket and get all the people you know that you trust that owe you favors to step up for you and help do the biggest launch that you can that might just be saying you're doing a Kickstarter for 1500 bucks and you get every friend that you know to to back it on the first day it might be um, you know, if you're open in a restaurant, you invite every person you know, you you know, you do all of your due diligence before you actually launch to stack the deck in your favor because that launch day is a, a, a deal breaker. All right, just a few notes to end on. Uh, oh, you know, I, I feel... I've done a lot of work to get in touch with what I think my vision, mission, and values are while I'm on this earth and, and, and for the season that I'm in. And I think, you know, my vision 
for my life is a pretty big esoteric thing, and it can apply to all kinds of missions. It can apply to this podcast, and it can apply to being a dad. Um, it can be applied to all kinds of things. But my mission for creative work, creative people, um, and creative pep talk is uh, kind of, I see two parts of it. There's a bunch of different prongs to this fork, if you will. It's like an eight-pronged fork, which that sounds like a really good, useful new invention that nobody's explored. It's kind of like a comb, but it's a fork. <laughs> anyway, there's a bunch of prongs, but two of the prongs are, you know, one of the things I find myself doing is like advocating for creative people and kind of going around to um, businessy people who know that they need creative people um, but they really don't know how to get the best work out of creative people. And I feel like for those people, my purpose is to say, uh, look, creativity is unlike anything else that you work with. And, you know, for instance, um, when you maximize for productivity, sometimes you directly disable the ability to be creative. When all of the focus is on productivity, um, that's a really bad circumstance for creativity to thrive. And that's really hard for business people to understand. So part of what I find my purpose to be is to go around and uh, advocate for how magic creativity is, how, how it's an art, how it's, how it's a magic. Um, but then I feel like my other job is to stand in the middle between business people and art people and look back at the art people and say, guys, look, we all know that creativity is pretty magical. We know that, and I'm with you. I'm there, baby. I'm deep in that pool. I'm in the deep end of the magic of creativity. But I want to tell you something. In the deep end, there's something that I found that, don't tell the business people this, but creativity is also largely a science. There is a lot of good science to creativity. I think about this all the time. I think about how... Um, you know, for me, there's power in, in knowing the tricks of creativity, knowing the science of how it works. For instance, uh, analogy is a big part of what I do, both in visual illustration, verbal illustration, talks, if you will. Uh, and then, you know, I see it in comedy. I see it in storytelling. I see it all the time. All, all the time. And um, here's an amazing thing about analogy. An analogy uh, is science. There's a, there's a neuroscience to why analogies create these aha moments. And I'm so addicted to this. And, and I'm addicted to the creativity of analogy and the science of delivering the value of an analogy. Because here's what it does. It says, this thing that you're familiar with, like we're all familiar with the battlefront. We're all familiar with Jafar. These are pathways in our minds. And I'm going to slide a new car down that highway that you already have built. And when I do that, you're going to have an aha moment in your mind when I say that B2B is like being Jafar and B2C is like being a gladiator like Gerard Butler on the front lines. And we know which one we like, which one we trust when it comes to biz, uh, battle strategy, right? And I slid a new car. I said, creative careers, B2B and B2C creative careers are not unlike Jafar and Gerard Butler in 300. <laughs> and you were like, yeah, hopefully, if I did it right. And I know there's a science to that. that that's uh, because it's neuroscience that says you already have those pathways built in your mind. I slide something new into it and it X, Y, and Z equals G, uh, so there's a math to it. And uh, 
And I go around encouraging creative people and, and trying to get them encouraged, trying to get them uh, to embrace the science of creativity. And the reason is, is because A, I think it makes them better at doing their work when they understand that there are formulas and, and frameworks that can help them in their magic. And I've said this before, it's just like, you know, Harry Potter might have been the most powerful uh, magician of all time, but, and I like talking about him like he really exists, but, but he still had to go to Hogwarts. He still had to read the books. He still had to train. He, there was still a science to the magic, and I think art is the same way. And I think that that's really good news uh, because uh, here's why. Because, you know, one thing you notice, if you listen to a lot of podcasts listening to actors, um, I feel like there's actors that don't create their own content uh, are a lot like illustrators and designers that don't have a B2C business. They're people that are at the mercy of other people. And those actors, you can tell that their whole lives, their whole paths are up to chance. Whether they thrive or whether they fail is up to whether they're randomly caught with the right casting director at the right time, get in the right film, and somehow get on a positive trajectory. And they also know that if somehow that doesn't happen, they will go down a trajectory that really sucks for years maybe, maybe forever. And so their destiny is completely out of their hands. And that is the type of person that the type of creative person on this podcast that I'm saying, it's more of a science than that. And you don't have to be to, at the mercy of the B2B, uh, you know, luck of the draw fairy art mother coming and choosing you and all of your fate in their hands. There's a, there's, you might not be able to completely control your fate but it's way more in your hands than you think. And a lot of that comes to down, comes to down, comes down to being battle tested. And you hear the same thing. I heard this a billion times from comedians that they say, you know, they see these Hollywood people, these actors running around like crazy, trying to stay relevant, trying to do social media, trying to, uh, trying to stay cool, trying to pick the right roles, trying to schmooze at the parties. And uh, the secret power of the comedian is, well, if the roles kind of dry up and I'm kind of out of the spotlight, I always know how to do stand-up. And it becomes this, this B to C, this business to customer, being able to know what you chuck, knowing the value of it, being able to do it on command, means that they hold the keys to their destiny and they can only fall so far, creatively speaking. And that is my encouragement to you because I see a lot of people and I saw this in my own life uh, wanting to hide behind the subjectivity of creativity and not and being afraid to even try to deliver real value because I didn't know if I could actually do it because I didn't know if I had the talent or if it was my fate to actually be good at what I was doing. And I remember years ago, like this must've been 2010, 2011, having pizza with my dad, very on brand for me, um, but it's not actually that uh, hard to find those moments because especially back then I was eating pizza all the friggin' time. So pretty much every story starts with, I was eating pizza. I was eating pizza with my dad. And I told him, I remember saying, you know, I really wanna, um, I wanna, I want to, I said something like confidently of, 
I want to do the type of work where there's no inherent value. Like I, I want to, I want to dive in the subjectivity waters. I want it to be completely subjective. People that get it, cool. People that don't get it, then fine. And I can see in myself that it was a defense mechanism. And it's this idea of hiding behind the avant-garde, the subjective side of creativity that says, you can't tell me whether I'm good or bad because it's subjective. Uh, you see it, you know, a lot of alternative stuff and avant-garde stuff has tons of merit, but you'll see it a lot in like the alt comedy scenes and stuff like that where it's like there are no punchlines, there are no jokes. And a lot of people, I think, in that world of creativity, and this is, I know this is a controversial statement and, I, and I'm, it's a broad sweeping statement that doesn't necessarily cover everything, but I do think there's a lot of creative people that, myself included, back in those days, was hiding behind the subjectivity of creativity. And I want to actually... As much as it might sound like a discouragement to say that, it, this is really an encouragement to say that, yeah, maybe we'll say to the business people, creativity is more subjective than your productive measures. But to you creative people, I want to say creativity is a lot more objective than you think. And guess what? That should be great news. And here's why. Because if creativity is partially a science, Talent becomes way less important because what ends up being important is being battle-tested. It means that your talent and your ability to deliver this value isn't fixed. It's a skill that you can acquire and grow. And I went to school with people who could draw circles around me. They were infinitely more talented than me. And... They got crushed by the creative industry. And I think the reason I'm still in the game is my willingness to get on the battlefront. And so I want to encourage you today to get out of that hiding place behind subjectivity. Quit being afraid of your worth being tested and, and you getting the pass or fail on whether you should be in this industry at all and realize it's way grayer than that. Yeah, maybe you maybe the first time you're battle tested you get an F. But the next time you might get a D. And then the next time after that you might get an A. And then you probably get a B. And then you probably get a C. Maybe you get an A after that. <laughs> Just messing with you now. But don't be afraid to get into the arena. And I want to leave you with this quote by Theodore Roosevelt. It's a really famous one, but I think it's a really good one to revisit. And, it, and he said that it's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows that in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls 
who neither know victory nor defeat. And uh, I hope you take those words to heart. I hope you find even, even if it's not a entrepreneurial or a business uh, way, a way where you're actually making money or selling something, um, even if it's in a small way, like just trying to grow your customers and clients and followers online, whatever it is, I encourage you to get there and get your creativity facing people. Get your face smashed in because you will, because you're going to suck the first time you get on stage uh, at open mic at a comedy club and then have the courage to get back up there and do it again because that is how you're going to hold your creative career destiny in your own hands. Thanks for listening. If you love Creative Pep Talk and it's had some kind of impact on your creative career, there are a few ways you can support the show and and give back. You can review the show on iTunes. That helps way more than you think it would. And uh, if you're one of these people that just totally zones out when I start doing this stuff, I'm talking to you, mister. You've been listening to this show for three years and you've never even considered giving me a review on the podcast on iTunes. (gasps) Okay, it's okay. If you don't want to do it, it's totally fine, but it helps. Uh, And uh, (laughs) you can back the podcast financially on patreon.com creative slash creative pep talk. You can get some merch at CPT. No, CPT is nothing. You can get some merch. Creative pep talk merch. CPT merch on creativepeptalk.com slash shop. You can also get access to the first 100 shows by uh, signing up to the newsletter and also get notifications on your email when a new episode drops so you never miss one by signing up to the newsletter, signing up to the newsletter, signing up to the newsletter at creativepeptalk.com. Thanks to Yoni Wolf for the theme music and the band Y. Uh, and thanks to Nate Utash and the band Metavari for the other tunes and for the other other tunes, the, the, the sweet, sweet tunes of Alex Sugg, who also um, edits this podcast. Thank you so much. And uh, hey, until I see you next week to fill up the tanks with pep, do whatever you got to do to stay pepped up. Yeah.